Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for the second Sunday after Pentecost. This is June 19th, 2022. And today we are looking at the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Maybe I'll just read this through real quick, then we'll go back and and take a closer look. The text reads like this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you... A great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And a couple of notes before we get into the text proper here. First off, this is Luke 16, which means it comes right after Luke 15. And in Luke 15, we have several parables, including the parable of the prodigal son. And remember there that the the father has two sons, both of whom get their, their membership in the family wrong because both sons think that they have to work to earn a place in the family. So the prodigal son, when he comes back home, he says to his father, you know, hire me on as a servant and I'll work hard to earn my place in the house. And the father essentially says, get in the house because you didn't earn the right to be my son in the first place. You're born into the family. And the older son comes in from the the fields and refuses to go inside. And essentially he says to his father, You know, I've earned the right to be your son, unlike that other son of yours, at which point the father says, come in the house. You haven't earned the right to be my son either. You were born into the family. 
And of course, the, the, great, the great lesson there is that we're not saved by works. We don't earn our way into the family of God. We're saved by grace. We're born into the family of God, born by water and the Spirit. And, and Jesus is telling that parable because he's being dogged by the Pharisees so much who teach that you earn your way into God's family and stay there by, by keeping the law, by doing good works. So he's combating them. He's, he's, he's jousting with them verbally, if you will, in Luke 15 and 16, both. The reason I bring up the parable of the prodigal son is, is just to note that how do they celebrate the prodigal son's return they have a feast. Don't have a feast every day, but they do have a feast to celebrate that the son has come home. Now, in between the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 and this text in Luke 16, we have a note in Luke 16 verses 14 through 16 that say that the Pharisees are lovers of money. And as part of the discussion there in those verses about the Pharisees as lovers of money, Jesus references that um, the people of Israel, the Jews, have had the word for a long time because the law and the prophets were there until John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist came and preached that the, the Messiah had arrived. All right, so we have in Luke 16, just before this passage, a note that the Pharisees love money, they're into riches, they're into wealth, and that they've had the law and the prophets for generations. I should note, too, that the law and the prophets here is, is a, uh, it's a nickname for the Old Testament. All right, with those preliminaries in mind, let's look at this text here for a few minutes. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So, the first character in this story is the rich man. And we know that he's clothed in purple, which is extremely expensive in, as, as a color of clothing. Uh, the only way they can make purple is from the blood of either certain mollusks from, um, from uh, the Mediterranean Sea or certain worms you can dig out of the ground. If you crush enough tiny worms, you get enough dye to make purple clothing. And that's why only the very, very wealthy wear purple. So this man is clothed in purple. He wears fine linen and he feasts sumptuously every day. Remember chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son He's from a pretty decent-sounding estate. He's received a large inheritance, and, and rather than feast sumptuously every day, they have one feast when the prodigal son returns home, and the older son complains that he's never gotten a feast with a fatted calf in all of his life. All that to say this, the rich man of this parable is just obscenely rich. He'd be one of the billionaires of today. He has no idea what poverty is. He has no idea what wealth is. He just has extreme wealth. He's out of control, if you will. He doesn't know how to use what God has given him wisely. In contrast, then we have verse 20, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
So the other main character in this story, at least for now, is the beggar named Lazarus. And you'll know that the rich man doesn't have a name, the beggar does. And that's not because God loves poor people more than rich people. It's because Lazarus ends up in heaven because he's repentant. Because he's repentant and forgiven, God knows his name. He's a child of God. The rich man is not repentant. We'll see that in the rest of this story. And he's never named, he's never recognized by God as one having a name. Lazarus, the name, is the Greek form of the Old Testament word Eliezer. And that name means the one whom God helps. In this life, it looks like Lazarus is getting very little help from God. He's a beggar, he's diseased, he's covered with sores. He just wants to eat the food that falls off the table of the rich man when he's having one of his sumptuous feasts. And as far as healthcare goes, the dogs come along and lick his sores, which may or may not make things better. So we have the contrast, the rich man and the beggar. It looks like the rich man must be loved by God because he has so much. And the beggar must be hated by God because he has so little. But we know from all of Scripture that these appearances are deceiving. And as we so often find in Luke, this will be a case where the tables are turned and the one you least expect to be loved by God ends up in heaven. And the one you most expect to be loved by God ends up outside of heaven. And so we read, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, the more traditional translation of Abraham's side is Abraham's bosom. And some have even suggested that Abraham's bosom is a place outside of heaven where believers had to wait until Jesus actually died on the cross to take away their sins. So it was kind of the waiting room of heaven. There is, however, no proof in Scripture that such a place exists. It's not like there's heaven and beneath that Abraham's bosom and beneath that purgatory and beneath that hell. Scripture only speaks of heaven and hell. So what does it mean that the poor man is carried by angels to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom? Well, when you think uh, back to, say, the Last Supper, people are reclining at table. And so we, we, uh, when people would recline at table, their feet out behind them, they'd be laying on their side, and they'd kind of be leaning up against each other. So this poor man who appears cursed and hated by God in this life, when he's taken to heaven, he's he's reclining at table and he's leaning, leaning against Abraham. So all of a sudden, he and Abraham are spoken of in the same breath. He's not the outcast in heaven. He's loved by God. And in heaven, he's at a feast where he was a beggar in this life without anything. Now he's uh, a, a diner at the marriage feast of the Lamb. This should remind us, by the way, of something Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, where he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We find this happening in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus unexpectedly ends up at a table with Abraham at the marriage feast of the Lamb, which has no end. And the son of the kingdom, the rich man who everybody thinks has it going for him, he ends up outside in outer darkness in torment in Hades. Remember, too, we've just learned that the Pharisees are lovers of money in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke 16, 14 through 16. So Jesus is warning the Pharisees that their love for wealth will lead them to reject him and they'll be outside of heaven forever. Because we find out in the rest of this verse, verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So when the rich man dies, he's in Hades. Sometimes Hades is just the realm of the dead. This, is, this however, is, is hell. This is outer darkness. This is the only place left if you're, if you're not in heaven. And there's no feast there for the rich man. Instead, he's in torment. And we'll find out soon that he's, he's thirsty. And in the scene that Jesus sets with this text, heaven and hell are close enough together where one can look from one place to the other. And the rich man can even call out to Abraham. And so he calls out and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, there's a super interesting request that the rich man has. He calls Abraham Father Abraham, which means that this is a, the, the rich man is Jewish. He considers himself a descendant of Abraham, and he accords Abraham the proper respect. But there's no repentance, there's no humility. All Hades has done to the rich man is just keep him who he already was and maybe make him more of who he already was. So rather than express regret that he's ended up in torment, instead he asks Father Abraham to send the beggar, send Lazarus over to relieve his thirst by, by dipping the end of his finger in water to cool his tongue. So even though the man knows he's in torment, even though he knows he's not in heaven, there's no repentance He's incapable of it. There is, there is no uh, repentance received in, in hell. Those who are there don't want to be in heaven. He just wants to be relieved of his torment, at least for a moment. Now, the fact that the rich man calls uh, Abraham Father Abraham should maybe remind us of a story earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 3, where John the Baptist says to the crowds that come to the Jordan, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So before Jesus even arrives on the scene, before Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist warns his fellow Jews, don't think you can get into heaven by just saying, hey, we have Abraham as our father. If you don't repent of your sin, you'll uh, be cast out. You will have to suffer the wrath to come. And that is exactly what has happened to this rich man. He's still his entitled self. His, he hasn't taken his riches with him, but he still believes that Lazarus is there to serve him. And this is really kind of the same attitude that the Pharisees have as they oppose Jesus. So the rich man requests the help of Lazarus that Abraham would send the beggar over to help him. And we read in verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So there's no going between heaven and hell. But the, the bigger thing here is that Abraham is, is telling the rich man and warning all of us to look back and remember that what we have or don't have in this life is not a sign of whether or not we're going to heaven. The rich man had a lot. Lazarus had little. The rich man had good things. Lazarus had bad things. But now Lazarus is comforted and the rich man is in anguish. Why? Because of repentance, because of God's grace. The rich man never repented, and now he suffers. And, and there's a chasm between heaven and hell. There's no way for the rich man can be relieved of his torment. This is how things will be for eternity. So the rich man responds and says, Then I beg you, Father, in verse 27, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now, this is really interesting because the man sees that repentance is crucial, but not for himself, at least not in his position. Either he still sees no need to repent, or else he sees it's too late for him. But he wants Lazarus sent to warn his brothers to repent lest they come to this place of torment as well. And we read in verse 29, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, again, Moses and the prophets, that's a nickname for the Old Testament. And the people of Israel have had the Old Testament for hundreds of years. And the Old Testament is full of prophecies about Jesus. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. There's enough there to believe in Jesus and be saved. The rich man says that's not enough. 
But if Lazarus goes and tells his brothers to repent, he's sure that it will happen. And Abraham counters that faith comes from hearing the word of God, and they have Moses and the prophets. The rich man disagrees with that, though. And after all, remember, without repentance, he doesn't have faith. So he doubts that the word is effective, and instead he argues for a sign. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham responds in verse 31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So this is a a remarkable statement just in general. You would think that someone rising from the dead would convince people that, that, uh, that God is at work. But again, Abraham affirms that faith comes by hearing the word of God. We don't need to see miracles for salvation. But more specifically, Jesus is speaking of himself, I think. The Pharisees have Moses and the prophets. They've heard the Old Testament all their lives. They've studied it all their adult lives. And if they have the Old Testament right, if they believe that, then of course they'll believe in Jesus. But because they don't believe the Old Testament, they have a wrong understanding of the Messiah. And so they don't believe in Jesus. They have him crucified He rises again three days later. And do they believe after Jesus returns, risen from the dead? And the answer is no. They're not convinced. In fact, remember that in several of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, people don't recognize him right away. When Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene in the garden on Easter Sunday morning. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener until he calls out her name. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus spends the whole trip telling the disciples that he is the fulfillment of Scripture before they ever realize that he is, in fact, Jesus who is speaking to them. Likewise, in John 21, when the seven disciples go fishing, Jesus speaks to them in a familiar manner from shore, but their eyes are not open that it's Jesus until he reveals himself to them. How does Jesus reveal himself to us? Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's good news for you and me because we don't have to look for some great miracle to happen. The Savior is as close to us as his word. And by his word, he gives us forgiveness and faith and salvation so that we can be certain that on the last day, he raises us up to the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom which has no end. What joy. 
All right, that concludes our quick look at the story of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke chapter 16. God grant you his blessing as you continue to meditate on this text. God bless you if you are teaching this to others. And God grant you every good gift. Until we talk again, the peace of the Lord be with you. Goodbye.